Welcome to We Are Water, a podcast by Beaver Watershed Alliance. I'm Carrie Byron, and I work in outreach here at the Alliance. With this podcast, we aim to spark discussion on the importance of watershed conservation through conversations with our partners and stories from our field work. During September, we are promoting agricultural best management practices, and this week we welcome Billy Amons. Billy is a member of the Alliance Board of Directors and the Chief Technical Officer at Blue and Green, a water treatment equipment manufacturing company in Northwest Arkansas. Billy joins us today to talk about the Alliance's Pond Optimization Project. Hey, Billy, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well also. Uh, Well, I would like you to start out by telling us a bit about your passion for watershed protection. Okay. Well, I have a more chronologically mature individual living in the area for the vast majority of my 61 years and live, live currently on the family farm where I grew up on the middle fork of the White River, just above Lake Sequoia. And uh, it's a farm here, of course, and I am uh, try to be relatively in tune with nature and with the area here and I have been my entire life. I'm sensitive to the quality of the water in that stream and I generally want things to be nice and good. I worked for, have worked now for about 40 years in the uh, wastewater business trying to uh, protect water uh, as we clean water from uh, various you know facilities before it's discharged into the environment and feel like that uh, I consider myself to be an, a true frontline environmentalist from that perspective and that I spent my entire life trying to protect water quality. So I enjoyed many different uh, events uh, recreationally on uh, the lake, Beaver Lake, uh, uh, many years ago in Lake Sequoia when, before it became uh, quite so silted in and uh, on the many of the rivers in, in our area, the White River, Mulberry, Buffalo, Elk, you know, Illinois, all those with float trips and other things. So um, the general uh, tenor of my professional career has been aimed toward protection of water quality. And um, a, a large percentage of my recreational activities over the years have centered in and around the uh, rich water resources that we have in Northwest Arkansas. And so Great. working working with uh, Beaver Watershed Alliance has been uh, a natural fit for me. So what makes the Alliance's approach to source water protection so unique? From the beginning, the efforts have always been aimed toward working collaboratively with a wide um, representation of the various interests in the watershed, those who would uh, have a concern or a care from one direction or another. And we have attempted to include all perspectives from uh, the people who are in and around the watershed, people from business, people from agriculture, people who are landowners, people who are uh, strongly environmental. Uh, so this is the broad-based spectrum of uh, interested people who are involved and the desire to work hand-in-hand, um, shoulder-to-shoulder to accomplish uh, this our goal of protecting and enhancing the water the water uh, quality in this mm-hmm. area without doing so in a regulatory or uh, heavy-handed manner 
trying trying to do it yeah. in a in a way that everybody's getting along. Okay, great. So we are planning a virtual field tour along with our annual symposium that will take place on September 24th. And the tour is really going to be focused on our pond optimization project. And I know that you have been involved with the project since the beginning and you're a huge proponent of it. Could you describe about um, the site location um, and really why it makes an ideal spot for this study? And then um, also kind of just a quick bit about what exactly we're doing with the project. Okay, so uh, probably the background is a little bit important first. The idea okay. that uh, was arrived at after a series of discussions between the technical committee initially of the Beaver Watershed Alliance back in, I think, 2010 and 2011 when we were having these discussions <clears throat> We, our desire was to come up with a specific tool that could be implemented in our area that would be beneficial to the protection of water quality in the streams and in Beaver Lake, and at the same time be beneficial to the people or the, the land wherever the uh, tool was implemented trying to create a true win-win scenario so okay. that uh, so that everybody would you know support it sure uh, so the the concept was that uh, we recognized that sediment largely derived from erosion of our stream banks in the area is at least a very significant, if not the most significant, uh, detrimental or uh, impact on water quality in the streams and in the Beaver Lake, um, and the nutrients that it, that accompanies that uh, sediment. But if there were no uh, erosion, if you, if you eliminated all impacts from erosion in our area, then chances are the goal of protecting the quality in Beaver Lake and enhancing it would would be accomplished. And in fact, okay. we probably wouldn't have to eliminate all of it, but if we eliminate a large percentage of that, and it would make the streams themselves be more useful, more beautiful, uh, and uh, you know desirable. Nobody likes to see a, a large cut bank with a lot of soil being eroded in heavy rain events. Right. Uh, and nobody likes to see the brown water that, that uh, is created because of that. So okay. from, it's doing anything that we could do that would be that could be implemented and, and would actually accomplish, you know, some of that work rather than being theoretical only uh, is where we were coming from. So the idea is that, well, let's let's see if we can find a way to go back to something that was the way it used to be. And when I was young, which is, you know, ancient history, the, the quality of water in the streams in, in the middle fork of the white here where I played and spent many, many hours as a youth is was better than it is today. Uh, it was clearer. It was cleaner. It was more desirable. It had a better smell, had more wildlife, all those things. So <clears throat> we'd like to get back to that if we could. So what was different? Well, a, a large difference is the rate at which water from a rainfall event of any significant size reaches that stream uh, and then the velocity and the amount of water that is carried down that stream in a short period of time after a rainfall event occurs. Now, there are various reasons for that and uh, love to do that 
talk about that whole business <laughs> in, in another podcast. But uh, for, for this one, we just recognize that uh, significant rainfall events create significant erosion opportunities. And uh, so we like to eliminate that. Well, so nature does that by having the water not reach the stream bank so quickly, uh, not get into that stream at, at, in a uh, combined you know, flow uh, at, at the rates that currently exist. <clears throat> so one way that it, we know uh, intuitively, as well as from a number of different uh, studies and sources is that if you put in a reservoir of some type, uh, then you can slow that water flow down. If you allow that, that reservoir to ebb and flow, uh, to rise and fall. So that we came up with a design for this pond, that the concept of a pond, not a lake, uh, which would also accomplish the work or could accomplish the work, but is much more expensive, much more involved uh, in, in many other ways, environmentally not desirable when you create a lake in a, in a large body of water our large water stream of water. <clears throat> so if we, we thought, well, if we, if we put in a pond that is in the, basically a, uh, you know, a non-flowing stream most of the time, where in other words, you're not going to disrupt an ecosystem that's, that exists uh, from that purpose. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you put it high enough up in the watershed, then you can capture water in a small enough uh, reservoir that it doesn't become doesn't require you know significant amounts of extra engineering or protection in case there's a dam failure and so on uh, and you can make it such that it is uh, suitable to put on a normal piece of property and be usable by a normal landowner for various purposes so the the idea of the pond we, we settled on the size of an acre or less uh, we we desired to make the the dams be you know 10 feet or less if possible, 25 for sure, less than 25 feet, which I think is the, the limit for having requiring a bunch of extra regu regulatory uh, in, insight and look at it okay. um, and make it so that it's usable for that particular landowner. Uh, and hopefully it would fit and accomplish the goal of allowing water to enter, uh, be collected during a rainfall event, and then discharged at a slower pace than it might have come into the the, the pond at, uh, and and still rem keep a residual amount of water in that pond that could be used for whatever purpose, recreation or stock watering or uh, you know irrigation for a, a small you know plot of ground or whatever. So th there's various things that people use water for. Some people just like to look at it, which is it is pretty from that perspective. Uh, but depending on what the, the desires of a given landowner were, they would have this. Um, residual water that we'd always have available, a normal pond, and then above that we would have a, a freeboard of some some amount, uh, and you know ideally we'd collect a couple of acre feet of water, allow it to discharge slowly, and therefore not impact the uh, stream banks downstream from there with excessive velocity. Uh, just try to replicate Mother Nature's already wonderful method of allowing water to fall without causing big big time problems sure so one other question is how does that site location um affect how the whole system works because i imagine if you're too far downstream you might have too much water flowing too quickly into the pond and could blow out or if you're not up you know if you're up too high maybe you don't have enough water to fill the pond how how does the site selection 
play into to where you put these things. Well, this this turned out to be an almost an ideal spot. Um, we we're working, of course, with Dr. Thad Scott, and uh, he had already done some work for us while he was still at the University of Arkansas, identifying areas in the West Fork watershed, West Fork of the White River, where rainfall caused you know excessive rain uh, runoff in a short period of time. So obviously, that's going to be in areas where the the terrain is more steep and the runoff rate is higher. Uh, we also identified that there are, you know, in our, in our area, the vast majority of the land use is actually forest land. Uh, the second largest, as far as number of acres is concerned, is pasture land. Uh, and, you know, not, not necessarily saying those are the most impactful to runoff, but they are that the vast majority of the area is one of those two things. So this site, uh, this site happened to be um, small enough that a one acre size pond could contain flow from most rain events not excessive rain events but you know the a, a normal rain event and it also contained not exactly equal but significant portions of the watershed feeding this particular pond area are about, about it's roughly half forest and and half pasture so we by putting in a flow <clears throat> measuring device on each of the two areas from one from pasture one from the forest and then one from the pond itself overall we're able to uh, assess the relative effectiveness of this particular tool in slowing that water down and capturing sediment and nutrients uh, in all the areas virtually that we desire to and that we feel like we can have an impact on uh, okay. and obviously the, the landowner was cooperative and desired to work with us and looking forward to making use of this pond so it was a perfect storm of uh, everything coming together to uh, create this location. It's also relatively accessible, uh, you know, easy to get to and see uh, for those who might want to observe it. Uh, but all those things being together is what created this particular site. Um, so once the data have been analyzed and we've found, you know, the best parameters for making this work, then What's the next step with this project? How, how will we move forward? Well, there is significant disagreement about what that might be. Uh, there are, um, you know, this, this effort in itself, as I said, this idea came up, I think, initially in 2010. Here it is 2020. And we have a good chance of being able to put forward by the end of this year, a strong case uh, with uh, scientific uh measurement and analysis to say this this particular tool will work can work should work uh for me uh you know so i started this this whole thing started when i was 51 now i'm 61 so i would like to get it done in my lifetime uh it would be nice to see uh, a uh, recognition by some entity that has significant amount of money and or it could be the general public but i, I think that's gonna be more difficult uh, but the next step is to build some more of them one way or another. Certainly, we'd like to see some somebody step forward and say, here, here's enough money to make a significant difference in the West Fork watershed, which, you know, we initially identified 121 sites. Uh, if we could put in, you know, I think if we put in even 50, we, we'd, we would really see some significant difference. But ideally, we'd put in, we'd put in 100 of these things uh, in, in the West Fork of the White, and we, we would, by doing so, uh, eliminate a vast percentage, a large, large percentage of the sediment, the excess sediment that flows down that stream and 
and vastly reduce the amount of uh, stream make erosion that occurs. And the, what that would do is allow us to go in and repair those stream banks where there are uh, cut banks and already a lot of erosion occurring and expect them to hold and not be washed out again or new ones be created. Uh, get get situation back to where, where we, it would be from a natural perspective. And I think we'd do a, we would go a long ways toward the ultimate goal of protecting and enhancing the water quality, at least from this watershed. So finding a way to, to fund a significant effort in building a, a large number of ponds is, is where we want to go. The more realistic people among us, which does not include me, think that if we can get uh, 10 or 15 or maybe 20 of these things built in the next few years, we'd be lucky. Uh, I would prefer we find, again, somebody with, uh, that's, that believes in it and supports it and gives us enough money to, to build all 100 of them <clears throat> and go from there. But yeah, where we go is, is we'll do whatever we can do. The, the alliance will do what we can do to obtain funding and support and then hope we get the public involved and uh, enough interest that people say, yeah, this is worthwhile. Let's make this happen and then move forward. So I'm sure that there are landowners listening to this that are pretty excited and think, hey, I, I could use a pond and I've got some equipment and some knowledge and I'm just going to go build a pond. Is it that simple to just take a backhoe and a loader and and go dig a hole where you think it would work best? No, it's not quite that simple. There are some considerations to take into account. It is not extravagantly complex. And what we would prefer is that, you know, the, if a landowner has an interest and a desire and they want to build one on their own, uh, just uh, check with us and we'll work with the extension service. Uh, and uh, I think there's a couple of local engineering groups that work with us <clears throat> and we can give them some pointers and guidelines and ideas about how they can implement it on their particular site. The extension service is great about working on such things. And I think that they'll be, they'll be wonderful to, uh, as a resource for anybody who wants to do that. And there are some potential opportunities for cost sharing through the EQIP program and others uh, that probably would work, uh, not always and in every situation. And it's not desirable for every landowner, but there are ways to make that happen. If they want to do it on their own, that'd be wonderful. Just let us, let us talk to you. Let's let Dr. Scott talk to you. Uh, and give you some pointers on, on what is the best thing to do for a given location, given site. And we'll be happy to try to do that. Sure. I think you've also mentioned this a little bit, but just again, what is the, what is the big importance to reducing the peak flow and really enhancing the sediment and nutrient storage? Well, the, uh, again, from what we have, learned from the past and what we in, in the studies we performed in our initial uh, water quality assessment and in the watershed protection strategy is uh, that eliminating or reducing at least significantly the amount of sediment and the nutrients that accompany that sediment from entering Beaver Lake is the best thing we can do to protect that lake, the water quality there and extend its life, you know, hopefully into perpetuity. <clears throat> so the, uh, d this particular, uh, concept of using the ponds to slow down the water flow also helps to prevent and or uh, allow um, effective stream bank restoration to occur over a much broader area and, and uh, so you have we can eliminate cut banks well help to eliminate them help per to eliminate the creation of new ones if we can slow down this flow at, at the very least and or the damage that can is caused at some that already exist uh, and hopefully uh, I, I think there's a very good chance we, we accomplish uh, 
the protection of, of the, the lake itself by eliminating a large percentage of the sediment and nutrients that accompany those sediment as it enters the lake. Okay, great. Is, is there anything else that you want to add about the project, Billy? I, I don't think, I think we covered the majority of the detail anyway. Uh, it's, uh, I hope that anybody who does listen is willing to talk to others and provide positive support. Like give us questions if you have them. And you know, I'm not saying that we have the perfect solution, but we have a good solution, I believe. And working with Dr. Scott, I think we have some really good, strong, scientifically provable evidence to support this particular solution. And we'll be able to make this presentation and hopefully win people over. I, I would just encourage uh, people to, to recognize uh, that this is good and we need to support it. And it, and it is important to the collective community to all of us to protect the water quality in Beaver Lake and in our streams for a variety of reasons. There's almost, uh, you know, anyone who wants to live in Northwest Arkansas, I shouldn't say anyone, most people who want to live in this part of the country have at least a level of sensitivity to environmental issues and, and want to uh, maintain at very least or improve or enhance the quality of life here. And this is one way we can all help do that. And, uh, and it's, it's not pie in the sky, um, you know, maybe something we could do, some theoretical thing. This is right here in our backyard. We can make this happen. Uh, we, we just need some support to make, to make it go. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us, Billy. We really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. For all the details on our upcoming events, visit our Facebook page or send us an email, info at beaverwatershedalliance.org. We have a virtual farm tour on September 19th, and our annual symposium will be held September 24th. Please share and rate the podcast, and be sure to keep tuning in.